0: The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. We continue our series uh, inviting different graduating seniors uh, to come and bring morning devotions. So this morning we have uh, Richard Kim coming and bringing devotions. Richard, Chung, sorry. I would like for you to be Kim. (laughs) Please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Let us pray. Father you are an amazing God. A good God. And we pray that. We may never allow your word and the gospel uh, to get tiring or boring. May it continue to astonish us. Open up your word today. May it uh, transform our lives. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. The story of an underdog coming out on top often excites us. We see this in the popularity of stories like Anastasia or The Little Orphan Annie. They both, all, they both start off in the beginning of the story as orphans, alone and forgotten by the world. But by the end, we see them coming out and being a part of something so much more. Anastasia turns out to be a princess, and Annie ends up in the family of a capitalist billionaire. These stories excite something in us. Perhaps sometimes we feel like they did in the beginning, forgotten and alone, and hoping that there is something more out there, something better for us. Perhaps I am more than I seem. Just maybe, just maybe, I too am a princess. Well, Paul tells us, in our passage today, that we are indeed more. Just as these girls went through a radical change in their circumstances, we also went through a tremendous change. While Anastasia went from being an orphan into a princess, we went from being dead to alive. We went from being bound to hell to being bound for glory. We went from a state much worse than any orphan to one more glorious than any royalty. Paul reminds the Ephesians and us of the gospel truths that have transformed our lives so that we may see the former state that we once were in and contrast it with the present state that we now are in and truly rejoice so that we may be moved to obedience And love for our God. Paul provides the Ephesians with this simple yet profound reminder of God's love for them and for us. Paul tells us that we were dead in sin, but that now we are alive in Christ. Now, Paul opens up today by saying, And you were dead. You were dead. Notice, that he didn't say dying, he didn't say ill or comatose, he said dead. And one must understand this to grasp the full beauty of the gospel and the message here. That we were not sick in our trespasses, that we were not suffering from a disease called sin, but that sin is a poison that has seeped into our lungs and ceased all bodily functions. What is it that you can do when you are dead? Dead men can do nothing. They cannot reason, they cannot speak, they cannot carry about. It would be ridiculous and somewhat frightening to see a dead man making coffee or something. So what exactly does it mean to be dead in your trespass and your sin? Paul is not speaking of a physical death here. But Paul speaks here of a far darker and more sinister death. To be dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked is to live in this world like you belong in this world. It is to neglect the fact that God had made us good in the Garden of Eden. It is to ignore that fact and to live in this world as if we were made for this sinful world. And to call this world our homeland. Paul goes on to say that being dead is walking in conformity to the age of this world, in conformity to the prince of the principality of the air who is the devil. It means living as if you are a part of the world and under the rule of Satan. And if you're living under the rule of Satan, then you are separated from God. In Colossians 1.21, we see that to be dead in our trespass is to be alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. To be dead is to hate God, to hate life. It is to be at war with God as a part of the devil's army. And in this war, there is no neutral ground. There is no Switzerland in this war. There is light and there is dark. And to not be in the light means that you are in the darkness. Revelation 9.11 tells us what kind of king leads this army of darkness. He is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is Abaddon, meaning destruction, and Apollyon, meaning destroyer. The devil is the destroyer of man. These are not theoretical concepts. Ideas that have no relation to our lives today. This is a very true and a very real war, and it wages on even now in our seminary careers. This devil is the despot that has had a grasp on you and who grasps this world with his talons. So, what will happen to the sons of disobedience? What is the outcome of this war? In Ephesians 5, 6, we see that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience will be defeated with extreme prejudice along with their king and suffer with their king forever. And we were a part of this rebel army. To be dead means that we live according to the desires of our flesh and we do the will of our flesh. The desires of the flesh contradict the desires of the Holy Spirit as we see in Galatians 5.17. And we also see that the sons of disobedience have a different spirit working in them, a demonic spirit that binds them and enslaves them to their own desires, replacing God with our fancies and light with darkness. It means that it is in our nature to be children of wrath. From the moment that we were born, we were full of sin. We see this in Psalm 51.5 when David, the man after God's own heart, says that we were brought forth in iniquity. We, as the sons of disobedience, deserved the wrath of God. We deserved what the rest of mankind those who do not profess faith in Christ deserved for we were children of wrath we had gone astray from the light and into the darkness but notice that all these things are in the past tense this is history yes we were dead Yes we were by nature children of wrath and we once did live in accordance to the desires of our flesh but not anymore we are now alive in Christ Paul goes on to say but God <laughs> after all this darkness after being in this army of darkness and death and evil we receive but God What hope arises in this phrase. This is the greatest hinge and the greatest turning point in the history of the world. We were dead, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, saved us. God is a God of mercy and love. That's how Paul describes God. Then he speaks of the greatest miracle of all. God's greatest work. That while we were dead in our trespasses, he had made us alive in Christ. When we believe in Christ, we are resurrected. We're not healed, we're not fixed or woken up, but we are raised from the dead. We were dead and he made us alive. God made something so dead alive. Don't ever tire of hearing this truth, about hearing this great truth that we have been made alive, and not only alive, but seated by the one whom we call Savior. When he raised Christ from the dead, as we see in Ephesians 1, we are also risen, risen. We are also raised with him, and we are seated with him in the realm of the heavens. There is a transformation from being in the principality of the air, from the realm of sin and darkness, from being in this world, to being in heaven. From being in the the age of the world, into the age to come. When Christ will rule, and there will be no evil, no darkness, no darkness, This age to come shall have surpassing riches of his grace for us. We are moving from a shoddy shack, a cardboard box, into a mansion. And what is the basis for our salvation? Why are we being taken out of this dark army? It is grace and grace alone. We have been saved through faith. And it is only by the gift of God. God had made us alive from a state of death and utter hopelessness. He has given us life. And He has raised us from the depths. What glorious truth we hear. The basis for our salvation, that it is grace and not works. There is a misunderstanding in our world today... Where people actually think that they can do something for their salvation. This people call heresy. For there is no part of your salvation. There is no part of your redemption that you contribute to. You cannot raise yourself up from the dead. All you do is receive the free gift of salvation by faith alone. And even our faith is a gift. Paul says in Titus 3, verse 3, that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The basis for our salvation is mercy and grace. And this is the most vital part of our beliefs. And Paul does not want anyone to misunderstand this. There are a lot of religions out there that claim to be Christian. And they claim to believe in the Christian God. Yet they do not preach the Christian gospel of full and perfect grace. Grace. There are views out there that teach you that you need to do certain things to make yourself right with God, like confessing your sins on a regular basis. There are views that say grace does 99% of the work and you do 1% to get to heaven. There's even, even this view that you end up in a place called purgatory if you're not fully righteous, and that you have to stay there until your sins are purged. Many, many more exist, unfortunately. But these are truly foolish religions that rely on the power of man to get into relationship with God. In these religions, God is not the active agent. It is man who reaches up to God, grabs him by the collar, drags him down, and says, I want to establish a relationship with you. What folly this is! What an audacity! For one, to believe that man could do anything to enter into communion with God. Salvation from the wrath of God is like wearing a gas mask in poisonous atmosphere. The gas mask is doing everything to filter out the poisonous air for you to breathe. And to say that you can do any work to merit your salvation, to say that you can do anything to get into heaven on your own merits, And to say even that you'd like to work a bit instead of relying fully on the work of Christ is saying that you want your lungs to start pulling its weight. The gas mask is doing a great job filtering the poison's air, but now it's time for you to contribute to the work because you feel bad for the gas mask. You feel like it's getting tired. So you get a pin, and you make a little hole in your gas mask to let a little bit of poison through. But once the hole is made, the poison seeps in. It fills your lungs and immediately kills you. No matter how small a hole you make, you will die if you do not rely fully on that gas mask. No matter how little you think you contribute to you will die. The poison will still fill your lungs. It will consume and destroy you if you think God does 99.99% of the work and you do even a measly 0.01%, you will still die an infinitely terrible death. The whole weight of the law will bear down upon you and crush you. You cannot bear the burden of the law. It is 100% God's work. You add no contribution to the saving work of Christ on the cross. It is Christ who bears the full burden of the law. This is the grace of God. The beautiful message of the gospel. That we rely wholly on Christ's work. And this turns us from being sons of disobedience into something infinitely better. Now Paul provides a contrast for us who were disobedient, sons of disobedience, and children of wrath, doomed to die. But when saved, we become God's workmanship. We become created anew in Christ. We who were dipped in sin and controlled by it are now recreated in the good works of Jesus Christ. And why? So that in those good works we may walk. Now notice the order of things. We must be careful here. We're not to walk in holiness and do good things so that later God will see our works and accept us. No. God sent His Son and God crushed Him on that cross and His Son justifies us and brings us into the fold of God. And it is only then that we are able to do good when we are justified by faith alone. We are saved so that afterwards we are enabled to do good and this is a part of our salvation being able to do good being sanctified and this is a special time we have entered this new age that is to come mentioned in verse 7 but we are in this new age in a very special sense we are already citizens of new creation though not yet fully, already not yet. We have a foretaste of what paradise will be like, shown in the grace of God, and is providing for us a very visible church and the communion that we have together every Lord's Day, which is a time for us to come and partake in that heavenly activity of praising our God. This is a picture of what heaven will be like, not only do we have this foretaste, but we know that something greater and fuller will come. That it's pointing to the real thing. Something that we can look forward to. It's like Thanksgiving. After playing outside in the fall weather, for hour, you come home hours before Thanksgiving and you're famished. You're starving and hungry. And when you enter the house... The fragrance of that succulent turkey cooking in the oven embraces the olfactory nerves in your nose. It smells so good. And you start salivating and your stomach starts grumbling and you just want that turkey so bad. But you know you must wait because dinner is not yet. And your mom sees you and she says, Psst, "Come over here." And you go and she gently tears a piece of that juicy turkey and gives you a taste. And you savor that juicy turkey knowing that more will come and the greater, fuller meal will come in the future. It is already, but not yet. This is what Paul is describing. We are given a taste of the new age in our lives today. We are given a taste of paradise in our Sunday worship. This is the fellowship and the communion that we will have with God. God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In this new age that we are in, we are now able to do good. We're not bound. To sin anymore we will sin we will fail countless times but now we are able to do that which is pleasing to our God before we were utterly incapable of doing good but after the death of Christ and his inviting you into his kingdom and his house we are able to emulate the work of Christ so as you live your lives Do not despair thinking what's the point? I'm going to sin anyway. Rather rejoice knowing that you can do good. You can do things that are pleasing to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there will come a day when you won't be able to sin. And look ahead to that day. And always beware that none of your good works are what gets you saved. Right when you poke a hole in that mask, right when you rely on your own works and not the works of Christ, you are in immediate danger. So do good knowing this, and rejoice, for you were dead in sin, and now you are alive in Christ. We were so utterly dead, but God raised us up. Hear this and rejoice.